The scripture today is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. So Jesus heals a paralytic. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they lay down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Just to actually introduce Justin. Justin's been here a couple times before. He's a singer-songwriter, lives in Concord, and just has a wonderful heart for God. Honestly, I'm so excited that he's preaching on Mark chapter 2. This is a great passage. Morning. I'm the aforementioned Justin. I'm supposed to be here, so I'm here. The last I was here, I shared a little bit about my journey as an only child who has learned as a pastor, because I, I help pastor a church, I'm the associate pastor of a church in Concord, learning to not just belong, but be a part of and participate in the whole idea of life together, like the practice of actually living life, sharing life with other folks, that it was a lesson I needed to learn and continue to need to learn, that I don't actually get to just have my life off in a corner and then choose to affect or impact the lives of others just when I want to, but actually the way that life is designed, the way my life is designed, your life is designed, the way human life is designed, we have to have one another. We are given as gifts, we are also highly dependent upon one another. And so I painted this picture using the CMYK print process, talking about the fact that cyan, magenta, yellow, and black need one another in the print process, otherwise you don't get a full color print. And then I think that's the way life works. We actually have to have one another, because if we don't play our parts, then the whole picture doesn't look the way it's supposed to. This story, for me, is one of those moments where the Lord shows us, actually through brothers and sisters of ours, what that practice looks like. And so in the account, you have these four friends who have a fifth friend. And the fifth friend doesn't have the use of his arms or his legs. And Mark calls him a paralytic. And these four friends, they've heard that Jesus is across town teaching. And so they hatch this plan to get their fifth friend, who doesn't have the use of his arms or his legs, across town to where Jesus is. Because apparently they've also heard these rumors that this Jesus person does these miraculous works and people get healed and they're going to take a chance on this. So they hatch this plan. One of the parts of the story I love most is that the central character in this story is this paralytic, but he has no lines in the story. And maybe you resonate with that a little bit. You seem to be the central character in your own story, but you often have no say whatsoever as to how that bad boy's going. It's just kind of moving along. And you're like, I think I have some ideas about what might work better. And life or your friends of the Lord just says, I have a different idea. So these four friends, they put their fifth friend on a mat and they're carrying him across town. And who knows, like, is he into this? I don't know. Is he like the idea? I have no idea. He's just on the mat. Like, where are we going? What are you going to do about it? So they carry him across town. And they get to the place where Jesus is teaching. And the way Mark writes about it, he says that there were so many people in the room that they couldn't get in the door. Now, if that's me, I think to myself, hey, good job. A good effort. Nice work. You know, we came up against an obstacle that's clearly insurmountable, 
And it's the thought that counts, right? You know, good job, guys. Way to put some work in. But this is why we do things together. If you've ever tried to carry a person more than a couple blocks, and if you have, talk to me afterwards. If you've carried a body more than a couple blocks, I need to see you. But if you've tried to carry a person like more, you know, more than like 10, 12 feet, like it takes more than one person. It takes three or four people to carry a person across town. They get there, but this is the other reason we need one another because you always have to have the crazy friend. Like you might have the crazy friend. You might be the crazy friend. Thank God for you if you were the crazy friend. Because the crazy friend is the guy in this story who you don't hear from immediately. But the next thing you know about these four friends who come to this obstacle is that they're on the roof of the place. Which means you've got a crazy friend It's like, I've got an idea. <laughs> right? I don't know how you get a paralyzed guy on a rooftop in the first century. I have no idea how this has some sort of elaborate pulley system. And so they get on the roof and they're figuring, you know, so Jesus is probably here in the corner teaching. And so maybe... This is, you know, I guess we maybe he'd be here if that's the doorway. And they figure out where he might be in the room and then they start cutting a hole in the roof. Peeling back a layer here in my own psychology. Every time I think about this story, I have the Looney Tunes image of the saw who cuts the perfect <laughs> That picture, the Bible comes through and Looney Tunes in my brain. So they're cutting a hole in the roof to lower their friend through. And again, you need the crazy friend to say, hey, this is the plan. And actually, let's put it in a different context. You know, we hear this story, and it's in the scriptures, and I'm like, oh, you might have read the story before or heard it taught on, and I've taught it before. And, but put it right here. Let's say. Here we are this morning on Sunday. Guest teacher's teaching. It's a nice, quiet morning. It's raining. Kind of everyone's in that sort of like it's raining mood. And then we hear something on the roof. And it's clearly footsteps, and someone's dragging a body around. And the next thing we know, there's debris falling on the floor. And we're all sort of like frozen at like, what? And the next thing you know, then there, there's a hole large enough to put a person through. And there are four people looking through the hole. Here's the thing, if that were to happen. Here's the thing, no one in the house, nobody says this. No one looks up at that moment and goes, oh, what faith? Nobody says that. If someone's crawling on the roof of this place with a body, cuts a hole in the roof, we're like, you're going to have to pay for that. That's like, get off the roof. This is a day. Because faith, when we really execute faith, when we actually really carry through, faith oftentimes looks like lunacy. Can I get a witness? It looks nuts. It really does look crazy. And I'm not talking about all the time, like, the big things, like, it looks like crazy because you're going to move to Calcutta and give away all your stuff and just hang out in a slum until Jesus heals everybody. Like, that's crazy. I know people who've done stuff like that. That's crazy. I'm talking about you're going to still continue to give 10% of your money to a church when everything in the world tells us that, like, the church can't be trusted. But we say, actually, I believe that Jesus dwells in and among his people, and I'm going to continue to tithe. That looks like craziness. It looks like lunacy to the world. Faith looks like craziness. Counting on other people in your life. Giving yourself, investing in the lives of other human beings. There might not be anything quite as risky as doing this. As saying, I'm going to give my time, my effort, my energy, my talents to other people. I'm going to give the best of who I am to people who I don't know what they're going to do with it. It looks like lunacy. 
Faith looks like craziness. And that's what we need to do together because we just don't do crazy stuff by ourselves. Like we come up against like that moment, the crazy moment, and we're like, ah, no, I don't know. But someone in our group says, I have an idea. And then everyone kind of has the courage because we're together. Like, well, if I'm going to do something nuts, like at least I'm going to, if I'm going to get arrested, I will at least get arrested with some friends. (laughs) So they cut a hole in this roof. And they lower their friend through the hole. (laughs) I love this. They're lowering their friend through the hole. And here he is laying on the mat. And by the way, this is also how you know that there is at least one woman involved in this plan. At least one woman. I can see four guys getting their friend across town on a map. I can see that. I can see four guys figuring out a way to get their friend on the roof. And I definitely can see four guys cutting a hole in a roof. But at that point, that's where like male ingenuity kind of comes to an end. Because like as soon as that hole is cut, you realize there's some distance between the roof and the floor. And that's something you hadn't factored in. As a guy, I know that this is how this would work. And I'd be like, we're going to have to drop him. That's how... Like, this is how this works. But this, this is where you know there's at least one woman involved. It's like, strangely, I've been carrying 600 feet of rope around for years in my purse, and I don't know why. This is how you know. Like, my mom, at least, she's that gal. I was like, how, why, how do you have 600 feet of twine? I just have it. I don't know. <laughs> so they're lowering their friend through the roof, and he's lying on the mat, and he's looking up through this hole at his four friends, thinking about all the times he's seen them drop stuff. And they set him down on the feet of Jesus. And this is when things get honestly nuts. Because, as Mark records the story, Jesus says nothing initially about the man at his feet. He doesn't talk about his spiritual condition. He doesn't talk about his faith. He doesn't talk about his brokenness. He says nothing about his spiritual or physical or emotional condition. This is what happens Mark records that Jesus looks up through the hole and he saw their faith. And then he turned to the man on the ground and he said, your sins are forgiven, you are healed, take up your mat and walk. This man's healing and forgiveness was predicated on the faith of his friends. Here's why we need one another. Because you've been there. Where someone else's faith has carried you for a season. Where you stopped because you could not believe the things you wanted to or needed to believe about who you are or who Jesus is in your life. And there was someone else or maybe a team of someone else's in your life that you looked at and said, as long as you're holding on, then I'm holding on. You've been there. And you've been that person, whether you know it or not. Where someone watched your life and thought, if you can get through the crap you've been going through, if you can wade your way through this darkness, if you can make it and follow Jesus, then so can I. You've been that person on both sides of that equation. See, we can't get to the places God wants us to get by ourselves. And we know that. But we're convinced by our culture that our limitations have to be overcome with chemicals or life hacks right? So you got to drink your 15th monster of the day or whatever that is, just putting this garbage on our bodies because even the fact that we need rest is a limitation. We need to somehow overcome that. Instead of buying this crazy, wonderful notion that our limitations are actually sort of like the hooks 
that people can latch onto in our lives, that fact that I'm a needy person on some level invites you into my life, that you and I have to do life together because I can't get where God is sending me by myself. These four friends can't get their friend across town with just one of them. They have to have all four. It takes all of them and the crazy friend and the woman with the person the 600 feet of rope. And none of this happens for this gentleman unless his friends do it with and for him. We have to have one another. We are given to one another as gifts because of that. So I'm going to invite the band up. Thanks. This is a song I stole because I didn't have the words for what I was trying to say, what I wanted to say, from a songwriter named Patty Griffin. And it's a time I needed to say something to myself and to my own friends as a songwriter. Like I said, I didn't have the words to say. And it's about this concept. We can't get to where we're supposed to go without one another. So this is a young man I met in Ecuador outside of a town called Quito. And his story is sort of the same story through a different lens. What it looks like for a life to carry another life. What it looks like for you and I to perhaps carry someone else or to be carried by someone else in the way that God has designed us to need one another. So his name is Antonio. And he told us his story growing up where he grows up. He, like so many kids who grew up in like destitute, extreme poverty, broken family, his mom left really early on in his life because his dad had some kind of a substance abuse problem, and he was never altogether that clear because he was a child. He didn't know what his dad was on or using. He just knew that his dad would disappear for days and then come back and be different and violent. He and his sister dreamt and talked for years about what it would look like to get out of this environment, but they didn't have anywhere to go. If you're a poor kid, living in an abusive household. You don't have places to go. You don't have bus money. You can't just hop a plane. You can't go get a job. You're six, you're 10. You're just stuck. One of the differences between Antonio and most of the kids who live in poverty in most parts of the world is he's got a sponsor because his mother, before she left, connected Antonio with this local church that had a partnership with an organization called Compassion International. And what Compassion does is worldwide, in 26 different countries, they connect folks like you and I to kids like Antonio and to help set kids free from poverty in the name of Jesus. That's what they do. And you walk onto a Compassion Project, you don't know it's Compassion. It's just the church doing what the church does and Compassion helping out. So his mom connected him with this program, and he gets to eat every day, which most kids don't. He gets access to medical care so that if he gets diarrhea, he doesn't die, which is like the fifth leading cause of death among children globally. He gets to have an education. He gets to possibly apply to go to college. All these things he wouldn't have access to if it weren't for this body of believers and this sponsor. And the sponsor ends up, as Antonio tells the story, being the key difference between his life and the life of so many of his friends. He said, for years I would write and I would tell him about my life and I would say once in a while a few things about my dad. And every time I wrote to him about my dad and our situation, he would write back these words and these words exactly. I'm praying for you. I'm also praying for your father. 
that he would receive the mercy of Jesus. He said over and over and over again, here's this man who was praying for his father. And he said, I hated my dad. And here was this man who was praying for him. Like, did he not get it? He hurt me. And he was keeping me trapped in this space. And here's this man who was praying for my father. He said, when I was 15 years old, everything changed. My dad came home from being gone for three or four days. And just like always, he walked into the tiny little space. And we're like tiny, like when we talk about small, the space that the three of them lived in is probably like from this gorgeous piece here. I don't know who did this. These are fantastic. But from here over to about the wall, it's about the size of their little hut. And everything they owned was in here, he and his dad and his sister. He says, my dad walked into our home and he got violent with my sister like he normally did. And then he turned towards me, but I was 15 and I was stronger than he was. And so we got in our first real fight and I won. And I remember standing there over my dad with my father kneeling on the ground in front of me thinking, this is how this can end. This is how I break this cycle in my life. And then he said this. Then the words of my sponsor jumped into my mind. That somewhere in America there was some man who was praying for my father to receive the mercy of Jesus. So instead of hurting my father further, I told him to get out of my house and come back when you're ready to be a family. So, a year later, Antonio's father is back in that household. And once again, Antonio's father is on his knees in the middle of this tiny little hut. But this time, it's not because he was beaten there by his son. This time, he was kneeling on the ground, hand in hand, with his now 16-year-old son, who was leading his father in a prayer to receive Jesus Christ and start his life over again. And we get there because Antonio extended a mercy that he didn't have the capacity to extend. Can I get an amen? He extended a mercy that had been given him by this other person. He had been in a relationship with someone through letters who had over and over communicated, which, man, that's how I learned. <laughs> I have to hear it for the 19th time before I believe it's true. Can I get an amen? Like, I have to be told, I have to be reminded, I have to be coached, I have to be led. He told him over and over, I'm praying for your father that he would receive the mercy of Jesus. And the mercy that Antonio didn't have the capacity, the strength in himself to extend, he extended to his father. And his father came to faith in Christ. We need one another. Because there are simply places we cannot get places God wants us to go that we cannot go to, we cannot get to by ourselves. I'm convinced there are a lot of spaces in our faith journey that we just haven't entered into because we haven't been able to give ourselves over quite yet to the community and say, I need to get here and I don't know how. We've allowed ourselves to be convinced by a culture around us that says you have to be able to somehow become more mechanized and more life hacked and get over your own obstacles and you have to push your way through and you have to work harder and We've believed this individualized notion, even this individualized gospel, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus calls us together in our limitations and says, I'm taking you somewhere, but you can't get there if you don't go as a whole family. So I'm going to count on a couple things. The first thing is I'm going to count on the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to bet there are some things stirring in you, and some of those will have faces attached. There might be some faces and names popping up in your mind. Folks, that you need to carry for a season. It might mean that letter or that note you need to write to dad. It might mean that sit down and talk you have to have with the roommate or 
the sibling. It might mean the counseling session with your husband or with your wife. It might mean you walk to the back table and you pick up a packet. This is Timothy Wabire. Timothy Wabire lives in Kenya. This is the only place in the world this packet exists. When you sponsor a child with compassion, there's only one packet of these, of any child anywhere in the world because programs are great. Food is fantastic. Education is great. Medicine's wonderful. Relationships in Christ change lives. So when you sponsor a child, it costs $1.23 a day. This might be on your heart this morning. This might be a way you want to practice carrying the life and the faith of someone else. I'll meet you in the back and I can show you what it looks like to walk through the simple paperwork in the back and sponsor a kid this morning. But I'm going to trust that God has something for you to step into, to give yourself away. I'm going to end with a song and then I'm going to invite the band back up again. A little personal peel back. My church community in Concord, this is a, it's a very good, really, really difficult season in the last like, year or so, learning what it actually costs us to belong to one another. And if you've been around for nine years or you've been around for a couple weeks, uh, what we recognize is that other people's lives have weight. And sometimes it feels like the weight of our own lives is enough. It's enough for us to carry. Here's what we're learning, and I extend this not as a deep wisdom, but as a people who have fallen and are getting back up. That weight can be terrifying, the weight of someone else's life, the weight of actually belonging to someone else. But there is a blessing, there is a strength, and there is a, how should I say it, there's a kind of glory in the sweat and in the work that it takes to belong to and to live together. It's harder to belong to one another than it is to do almost anything else. It's harder to live life and share life with other people than it is to do almost anything else, start a business, whatever. But to belong to other folks, there is a sweat and a blood and a tears thing that comes along with that that it's nearly impossible. But it is on the other side of that, and even in the midst of that, that we are met by a Christ who has the capacity to carry all of us at the same time. There's a kind of grace we experience in the midst of carrying and being carried by one another that we cannot access otherwise. This is called Done Living. Jesus, you have given us one another as a gift. And you've given us two one another as a gift. And there is just no point in history in which the gifts you give don't come along with some kind of challenge. We're responsible for the lives you've given us, though our lives are, themselves are gifts. May we find a deep joy in the responsibility we have to one another, knowing that you are calling us always as a whole people to places we cannot get to, not only without you, but without one another. This is how you've designed it. So in the hearts and the minds of my sisters and my brothers, that you would call to mind now, in this moment, the places where they are essential. The places where they are most needed. The places where their gifts and talents are multiplied. And give them the confidence 
the courage and that deep sense of satisfaction knowing that they have been given to that place, to that neighborhood, to that relationship as a gift, as a good gift. And the things you've set out to accomplish through them, you will accomplish because you always finish what you start. Amen?